Amen. Well, the singing sounds amazing today. I think I'm going to blame that on the teens after them coming up, fired up from camp. Uh, you guys uh, have uh, spirited the group here today. So it's awesome to be together. Uh, today we're going to be continuing our summer series on faith. So hopefully you're ready to grow in your faith today. Uh, we've been going through Hebrews 11, and I'm excited uh, for our sermon today. Why don't we start off with a prayer, and then we'll get started. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for this time to be together. Uh, I pray that in these next few minutes that you will move me out of the way, that you'll speak through your word, that you'll open up our hearts, that even as the song that we just sang, that you will set our hearts on fire, God. Help us to serve you with greater faith, God. Help us to grow and get everything out of our lives that gets in the way so that we can serve you, God. Be with our time in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to study out Isaac and the sermon. It's called He Laughs. This English proverb, he laughs best who laughs last. And at the end of Isaac's life, he is so filled with joy that he is laughing at all the things that God has done. And we're going to go through a little bit in Genesis here of the different Ways that God talks about laughing uh, through Isaac's life. But turn over to Hebrews 11, and we're going to start here and see who is this guy? Isaac. Not Isaac Hernandez. Isaac in the Bible. Kept thinking about Isaac the whole time I'm doing this lesson here. It says, by faith, this is about Abraham. His dad made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs of him with the same promise. And then down in verse 18, he's talking again through Abraham. He says, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. So thinking about Jacob again, he was kind of the guy in between. You know, it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was the father of faith, so he was amazing. Jacob was the father of Israel, so he was amazing. And Isaac was kind of in between. He was kind of the middle guy. If you're a middle child, raise your hand. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. You have the oldest, and then you have the spoiled one, and then you're kind of in the middle making peace, right? I mean, that's kind of how it goes. Uh, so he was kind of in the middle and living by faith. His, he got to pass on these tents, right? So he, his, he got these tents from Abraham, and they lived their whole life in a tent. They went camping for a long time. Then he got to go camping for a long time, and then he got to pass those down to his son, who got to go camping for a long time. That was his legacy, if you will. And yet, even beyond that, the most he had an extremely important job, which was to pass on an everlasting covenant. In Genesis 17, it says, Sarah, you will bear a son. And you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. That basically his relationship with God was the gift that he was going to pass on to his son 
And it was going to eventually go all the way down and form this amazing nation for Jesus to be born. And it was going to affect our lives. So Isaac, without him, if he would have dropped the ball, none of us would be here. None of us would be Christians today. If he would have dropped the ball on the everlasting covenant that he had. You know, we have an amazing... His relationship with God was the most important thing that he would be remembered for. And we have the same job that he did to pass that down to the next generation. If you're a parent, you have to pass that down to your kids by your example, by your life, by your prayers. And even if you're not a parent, we have that same charge to pass that down to the next generation in the church and those that aren't even in the church yet, that that is our job That is our role. That is what you and I are going to be remembered for. Did we grab on to the eternal covenant that God gave us because it is more valuable than anything you could ever have? It's so easy to get distracted by a lot of things. You know, this week and last week in our life, in our house, we had an interesting event that happened. And I blame it on the Smiths. They move into town and their AC went out. And the next day, our AC went out. And we don't even live near each other, but it just, it was their fault. (laughs) That was the bad news. The good news is that none of my family was home. They were out of town for a couple days, so I had to suffer by myself. But the good news was, I didn't have to hear them complaining about all the suffering they were going through. And so I went swimming at like 11 o'clock at night, slept directly under like three fans. And all I knew in my mind was that by Saturday, when they get home, I got to get this thing fixed. (laughs) Or or I'm in trouble and I'm going to have to deal with a lot of stuff, right? You know what I'm talking about. But after one night sleeping that way, I moved it up to Friday. I mean, we got to get this fixed. (laughs) Today, this is urgent. It was like upper 90s in my, it was mid 90s in my house. I'm just like, wow, this is just going up. We went from 78 to 95 in one day. So I'm kind of doing the math that, man, tonight's going to be worse. You know, when your AC goes out in the desert, if there's anything you can do about it, you got to get it done now. That's urgent. That's I don't care what you're doing. I mean, stop your quiet time and get your AC figured out. And when the guy's coming, then you can go back to your quiet time. But I mean, this is serious. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm sort of kidding there, but that's how I felt about it. And so we can do we can get radical when it comes to the heat. And yet, when our relationship with God's not doing well, we can just kind of be casual about it. Like, ah, I'll get around to it. I mean, I got a lot of chances. I'm young. I'm going to have a lot of opportunities. You know, I'm just struggling in my faith. Well, me and my wife, we're just not doing well right now. You know, I'm just struggling with this brother, and ah, you know, I'll get around to it. I mean, we need to go after that even more fervently than we go after our AC when it's out. That is the most important thing in your life. Don't let it slip. Don't let things get in the way. There's no excuse. That's a good excuse. That nobody ever came to Jesus and said, Well, I got a lot going on, Jesus. I'll get back to you. If anybody did that, they got rebuked. 
Because this is the most important relationship in your life. You cannot let it slip. And I appreciate God for that example in, in our lives. This week we had the same thing. Our faucet hose went out in our sink. So every time you turn it on, it just shoots everywhere. That was the same thing. Man, I felt like I was living in the third world country because I had to go do dishes in the laundry room. (laughs) But man, we need to go after our relationship with God. Like whatever it is for you, don't put it off. Don't wait for another day. Do it today. Don't wait for tonight. Do it before you have dinner today. That's the way that God feels about the covenant that he gave to us. That he died to give to you, that it's that important to him, and it should be the same for us. My point number one is laughs in disbelief. I mean, Isaac, his very name means he laughs, and that's because his parents, when they were told that he was going to be born, had a certain reaction of disbelief. In Genesis 17, the angel of the Lord says, I will bless Her and she will surely give you a son. I will bless her that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? I mean, I don't even know what that would look like, but to fall straight on your face and be laughing... Because God said he was going to do this miracle. And you said, that is just so ridiculous. Who ever heard of such a thing? Why would you say that to an old man? You're going to give me a heart attack. And so he, Isaac became known as, his, his name literally means he laughs. So every time he thinks about his own name, he can look at his parents and go, Dad, remember that? You didn't have faith, remember? You doubted. You know, and so that was what his name was all about. You know, faith, I love this. Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. That is what Isaac literally lived out. He was the amazing, the impossible gift. I found this quote. It says that faith does not contradict reason, but it may go beyond it. It doesn't contradict reason, but it may go beyond it to where you can't understand it. And so Hebrews 11 was written to these Christians who were struggling in their faith so bad. They were so discouraged. They were so disheartened. They were so just tired and hurting that he was highlighting these good examples to basically break them out of their discouragement. To remind him about Isaac, to say, man, that God can do anything. You need to snap out of it. You need to stop thinking about going back to your old life and snap out of it and believe in a big God. That he rewards those who diligently seek him. I mean, you think about Isaac. His mom's 90, his dad's 100. To think that he could be born was kind of ludicrous. I mean, to to just imagine that, that's impossible. But it's not beyond reason because God is the one that created life to begin with. He's the one that created the womb itself. 
And he can do anything that he wants to do. And it's amazing the example that he uses to help them to see, you know, don't laugh at me. I can do anything. I can do things so much, so far beyond what you can even imagine. I love what he says to Sarah. She has the same experience. Says Sarah laughed to herself and thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, how will I have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. I mean, is anything too hard for the Lord in your life? Is there anything that he looks at and says, you know, that's impossible. That could never happen. Don't even think about it. There's nothing that God can't do in our lives. And I love verse 15. That was my favorite verse of the whole thing. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did. (laughs) It doesn't even, you don't even get the feeling that God is upset at her. That he's just like, yeah, I saw that. You laughed. Come on, admit it. You laughed. You didn't believe, you know. And you just picture us going back and forth with a friend like, "Ah, I saw that. But him making the point that he can do anything that he, can, he wants to do. You know, imagine when that baby was born, the miracle that she held in her hand. And his literal name is, he laughs. And she thinks, yeah, I did too. We both laughed. We both thought this was impossible. And then another impossible situation, 13 to 20 years later up on Mount Moriah, when they're ready to sacrifice this kid that was the the blessing, and then that ram getting caught in the bush and just imagining, wow, I could never have seen that one coming. Right. And most, a lot of people think that the ram was stuck behind Abraham. So he was thinking about sacrificing his son, and the whole time this ram stuck right behind him. God had to kind of point him, point him out to get his attention, to show him again, nothing is impossible for me. And that's the way that they live their lives. Isaac grew up with that story of faith. And then he was on the altar and was literally saved by God. He's thinking, man, I should be dead right now, but God saved me. And that's really how God wants all of us to feel. That because of our sin, we should all be dead right now. And yet God saved us if we'll let him. He wants to save us if we'll let him to be able to live a life of faith. They went through famine. They lived in the land with their enemies. They had to stay in this place with their enemies because God said to stay and not don't leave. I know there's a famine, but this is the promised land. You can't go anywhere. What What do you mean? I want to over and over. God put them in situations where they had to have faith. How is your faith today? We are the same as Isaac and Rebecca. We laugh too when God talks about different areas. I guarantee you there's an area of your life that you laugh right now. If God said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to help your marriage, I'm going to give you this job, I'm going to help you 
in life. I'm going to, you know, help your family become Christian. I'm going to change your boss. I'm going whatever it is, there's an area where we don't believe. And God is trying to say, "Hey, I can do it. I can do so much more than you can ever ask or imagine." Let's let's have an active faith. How can I be a part of God's story? How can I dream big? If you have faith, you dream big. If you don't have faith, you dream small. And you settle. And you accept whatever, the crumbs from God's hand, rather than asking for great things. And you you just want to survive and somehow make it to heaven. And that is so not the life that God wants us to live. He wants us to live a full life. He wants us to live a passionate life. How can I be a part of God's story? You know, if you have no faith, you don't ask yourself that question. How can I be a part of God's story? Who can I help? You don't ask yourself that question either. Because if you don't have faith, you come to church, you sit down, and when it's over, you go home. And nobody knows that you were even here because you were just here for you and you weren't trying to help anyone else and help anyone else in their faith and look for needs because when you have faith, you want to help others. You want to meet needs. You want to serve. You know, you just come to midweek and you show up and you go home and you you don't talk to anyone. And it doesn't mean that you don't love God because you're here because you love God. But it means that you don't believe that God wants to use you or that God can use you. Or you believe that you got so much going on outside that you can't be useful in here because you got so much going on out there. What do I say to that? That's lack of faith. And you need to stop thinking that way. Because Jesus didn't cuddle with, with faithlessness. He rebuked it. He said, stop it. Because I am so much greater. You're just limiting me. Stop doing that to me. That's like a personal affront to God. And I know that I can be just as guilty as any of us. You know, today I was, put, I was finishing up this sermon. I said, you know what? How come I haven't called all these people that I've been reaching out to? I got all these phone numbers. How come I don't call them? Lack of faith. Because I called them however many times and it didn't do any good. So I just stopped calling them. So I'm convicting myself, going, hey, if I have faith, why wouldn't I want to talk to this person? Why wouldn't I want to share my faith? If I have faith to share, why wouldn't I want to give someone an opportunity? And I was convicting myself and probably convicting you, and hopefully we can all repent together. Amen? Amen. Okay, point number two. Laughs in mockery. You know, uh, Isaac had this experience as a young child. Uh, I don't know if you were, had this experience, but it can be pretty damaging for a child if they get mocked at a young age and just torn down. And that was his experience uh, with his older brother, uh, Ishmael. And I could kind of relate to this a little bit. See, on Friday night, we had a, a game night for James's birthday. And... Uh, I want to hold up uh, Emma Vasquez. Where's Emma at? She's in class, but she won. And we had this big game of liar's dice with 18 people. And Emma was 
victorious. And we got to see a little bit of Emma's personality, too. I mean, she was coming out of her shell there a little bit, and uh, that was pretty fun. But uh, the big loser had to uh, be humiliated publicly. And this was the before picture. And I'm not sure how Carly got, uh, you know, signed up for this job, but I think it was... That was the before picture, and that was the after picture. And I was just so grateful that James is merciful and let me wear the garbage bag. But uh, it, was, it was humiliating. It was all in good fun. But uh, I, I, that's a little bit. But I, Isaac knew what it was like to be humiliated. It says that, you know, uh, when he was weaned, his older brother mocked him to his family, and it, be, it had become a major problem. Where I'm sure that it was, the, the older son was about 16, he was like three or four, so it was a constant barrage uh, of jealousy and, and discord and anger and all these things. Uh, but God uses this word, it's kind of a play on words, that he, he laughs and mocks. You know, that's what his brother was doing to him. Uh, no, that I think God, God has a little bit of a sense of humor there. That we are being, if you want to live a life of faith, you're going to be mocked. You're going to, people aren't going to understand. If you're living in a world where everybody lives by what they see and feel and hear and touch, and you're trying to live by something greater that you can't see and you, that you can't touch, then you're, you got a problem there. And you're going to be mocked at some level or another. You know, there was a brother, he's like, man, I just can't stand going to work because lunch break is like I'm having lunch with the devil because of the, the conversation of my coworkers and the challenges. And I mean, they're talking about pornography and it's like the guys and the girls. And I'm like, wow, that's a challenging work situation. You know, what are you supposed to do? You know, stand up and figure out a way out of it. Get out of there. We're, we're, we're brainstorming on, you know, what would Jesus do and how do we deal with this? And, you know, we came up, he came up with some ideas. But, man, that, that's a tough work environment when you're a Christian. It's not too hard for them. They, they don't really care. But when you care about what's right and what's righteous and everything, it can be a challenge. You know, how about school for some of our teens? I mean, day after day after day, just get barraged one after the next, whether you're getting asked out on dates or whether you're getting mocked for being a Jesus freak or, you know, whether people just snicker when you say the the TBT or whether they out and out say something about it. And, uh, I mean, I had that happen to me when I was even on campus and I invited somebody to Bible talk and they're like, Bible talk? That's ridiculous. And I just felt like, all right, I'll show you what's ridiculous. Oh, ho, ho. But just to be mocked, I mean, it just pushes some kind of button where you just feel like, all right, you want to go? Let's go. <laughs> Not the Jesus button, but a different button. I mean, imagine your accountant as he's doing your taxes. And he's just doing hundreds and hundreds of taxes. And he goes through yours and he sees your charitable giving. And he's like, $15,000? What the heck are you doing? That's somebody that's living their life not for this world, 
but for another world. That's, that's investing in the kingdom. That's investing in God. But it's so different. And they might not say that to you because you're actually paying him to do your taxes. But maybe he says it to somebody else. Like, man, I can't believe these guys. What are they doing? They only have this much and they're giving away this much. That makes no sense. You know, how about our family members, you know, that don't have the same faith that we do, that aren't living their life for God, that aren't loving him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. There is, it is impossible to understand what a true Christian is if you're not a true Christian. There is no way to fathom why you do the things you do if it wasn't for Jesus. If it wasn't for your heart being different and radically changed by God and filled with love and all the things that... I tried to explain it to my family so many times. And all I could keep coming back to was when Jesus said they hated me without reason. There's just, there's no good reason for it. It just makes no sense. You know, think about Isaac's life. You know, his dad uh, said, basically, there's two things that you can't do. Number one, you can't move because this is the promised land. So don't go back, don't go anywhere, stay here. And number two, don't marry any of the women around here. You need to marry somebody with the same faith, from the same family. And that is a radical concept in, in his world. Imagine Isaac, you know, his dad's wealthy He's probably a pretty prominent guy in the area. Everybody knows who he is. His dad's like the richest guy around because God's blessed him so much. And all the families in that area, when he says, you know what, I want to go all the way over there and find a wife. It's like far away, but it's worth it because I don't want to be married to any of you guys. Because you're heathens, you're pagans, you, you believe in all kinds of weird stuff. And then thinking, well, what about my daughter? And what about my daughter? And what about my... Nope. I'm not having it. Why? Because God said not to. That's my reason. What? God told you? How did he do that? And yet it's the same today. Where he calls us to marry as a true Christian to only marry true Christians. No exceptions no clauses in there, you know. And when you start really looking for someone who loves God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength, your pool goes from this to this. And you're like, okay, really, God, I need to marry in here. And there's all these people all over here, but I need to marry right in here. And God's like, yep, that's what you need to do. Because if you don't, it's going to pull your heart away from me. You're going to fall away. You're going to mess up the covenant, and you're not going to make it to heaven. And why would you do that? And that is an amazing conviction that he has. And why do I do that? Because God says, don't be yoked with unbelievers. That's not my idea. That's not your idea. That's God himself's idea. But if you hold up to that, you will be mocked. And people will feel like, oh, I'm not good enough. 
And everybody and their brother would be like, well, this person goes to church, and oh, this person goes to church too, and oh, they go to a different church, and yeah, it's a little different, and you know, they don't really have all the same things straight, and you know, I know they do all these other things that really they shouldn't do, but really they believe in God. I mean, isn't that what's really important? No! Whatever God says is important, that's what's most important. And he says it's hard to get there. He says in one place, if it's hard for those of you who are trying to make it to heaven, if you're not trying, how hard is it for them? That's actually a literal quote from 1 Peter. He's like, if it's hard for the righteous, what about the unrighteous and the sinner? Those people that aren't even trying. I mean, we got to really, we're fighting to get there. I'm just hoping to get there. You know, Isaac also grew up with tension in his house. From day one, I don't even know what, okay. From day one, his kids fought. Even before they came out of the womb, they fought. In every account of them in the Bible until the very end of their lives, and they lived to be like a hundred and something, they fought. And they argued and they cheated and deceived each other and tricked each other. And that was the household that he lived in, that he grew up in. You ever, you ever felt like that's your house? They're just fighting all the time. But that was the, there, was, there was mockery in his house all over the place. And Isaac almost messed up. Because he liked Esau better than Jacob. His personal choice was he liked the hunter and the outdoorsman better. That could be a good thing. (laughs) Than the one that liked the tents and liked to stay home. So today, maybe that would be he liked the video gamer better than the hunter. Right? So that's good for some of us. God chose one, but Esau didn't want to go with what God said. God said from the very beginning, my covenant's going to be through Jacob, not through Esau. And yet at the end of Isaac's life, he said, well, God, I know you said this, but I'm going to go with Esau over Jacob. I don't care what you said. And now that's kind of a little extrapolation, but that's what he was doing. And so he was tricked out of his blessing. His wife kind of tricked him out of his blessing, but it's kind of good that she did. Because he finally went with what God wanted to do. And at the end, he says, he trembled violently. Who was it that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. And most people think that he, that he said that because he's like, you know what? I should have done that from the very beginning. He will be blessed and God said he should be blessed and he will be blessed in the end. So turmoil in the house, and I'm going to close out here. Laughs in blessings and joy. This is my favorite point. That at the end of his life, he was laughing. He wasn't laughed at. He wasn't laughing in disbelief. He was laughing in joy because he made it to the end of his life. He got to see his boys reconciled. 
He got to pass on the, the, the covenant, the eternal covenant. He basically did his job spiritually and was content at the end of his life. You know, God wants us to live a life of joy and blessings and gratitude so that we'll see him our entire lives. You know, we're six months through this year. The year's halfway over as of last night. I hope that now you're more faithful than you were at the beginning of the year. I hope that your family group is closer and more together and more unified and more faithful than they were at the beginning of the year. You know, at the beginning of the year, we prayed about different things, just even as a church. We prayed to be able to, that God would change 11 families to know Christ this year as a church. And so far, as of today, we'll have four. Four families that are eternally changed because of God in, in the valley. You know, and there's, I pray that you have the faith that God can use you to change a family in the next six months. Because if you don't have faith, then you say, I don't know what's going to happen. God wants us to grab on to him and have faith for the blessings that are ahead of us. You know, we've been praying this year to have two new family group leaders by the end of the year. You know, two couples, maybe, maybe that, might, that might be like a total of four couples if you have two couples in each group. To really have the faith that God can use me to somehow change people's lives. To make a difference in people's marriages. To help people to grow. To, to point people to Jesus. To help the lost world. You, my call to you is to have faith. Why not you? Why not your family? Why not your faith? Why can't God use you to help other people? You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to have a willing spirit and a little bit of faith that God can use a little mustard seed to move a mountain, I think he could use me. I think if I've been a Christian for 5 or 10 or 15 years, that God could use me to help somebody else. You know, he could use me to make a difference. I appreciate you clapping there, Kenneth. That's good. Um, you know, loving the poor. This year, to love the poor every month, this is an area that myself personally... I've been doing terrible then. I went to the MLK Day. I went to the golf tournament. And that's about it for this year, serving the poor. I don't know how you've been doing in that, but I was just thinking about it this week. You know, if, if I really want to serve the poor, what's keeping me from doing it? All I got to do is see a need and go do it. I don't need to get permission from anybody. I don't need to run it by any committees. It doesn't have to be this big program for the church. I can see a need and go do it. So this past Thursday, Chloe and I just said, well, I haven't done this in a while, six months to be exact. Let's go to Galilee Center at 3 o'clock on Thursday. And I don't know what everybody else is going to be doing, but we can do something. And it was awesome. And we had a great time. We got to meet people. and We got to share faith and serve those in need, and I left there thinking, man, that was easy. All you got to do is have a little bit of faith, and you can figure out a lot of stuff. 
If you don't have faith, you're not going to be trying to figure out what you can do, how you can serve, what need you can meet, how you can serve the poor. It's easy when you have faith. And you just got to figure out the time. And you can do it. And I was so convicted, like, wow, what took me six months just to do this? That was so simple. You know, offer our first fruits to God. You know, giving God our best. You know, whether it's financially or otherwise, to give God his due first. You know, that was our prayer. You know what? If you're struggling financially, you can still give God your first fruits. You can buy a $10 Starbucks card and raffle it off at work for $3 a ticket, and you could make your contribution right there. See, when we're, when we're full of faith, we come up with ways to get stuff done. We want our kid to go to camp next year. This year we couldn't afford it. You know what? I think if you have a little bit of faith in the next 350 days, you can figure it out. You can come up with some idea, some dream, some way to make that happen. Or you could sit around and go, well, my kid's never going to go to camp. We're going to go next year and I'm going to do the same thing over and over. And I appreciate the brothers and sisters in here that have given money to help people go and give them like a, a scholarship to give people half scholarships and whatnot. But I would just say and encourage you, have a little bit of faith and God can do a lot. You know, even with camps and things like that. Remain in me. That's the easiest goal of the year. You already did it for six months. You stayed faithful to God. Amen. You know, if you just keep doing that every six months, you're faithful. So on December 31st, if you're still faithful, you made it another six months. You're half, you're half a year closer to heaven. And you just keep going six months. Can you be faithful to God for six more months? Can you do it? I will be faithful to God for six months. I will go after my relationship with God. I'm not going to quit in the next six months. And then do it again. And before you know it, you're going to be there in heaven. I'm serious. It sounds funny. And to celebrate what God is doing. A year of celebration. You know, God has given us a lot of great things. He's done a lot of amazing miracles this year. And if you have faith, you see him. And if you don't see him, Yep. You got to get your mustard seed going. Because they're all there. They're right in front of each one of us. There's so many blessings. You could probably, you could count a hundred blessings if you really had a little bit of faith. You could do it tomorrow. You could go through and you could come up with a hundred things that you're grateful for. And so could I. But do I do that often? Probably not. But when we're faithful, we can find what God is doing. You know, my prayer for us is that we will be able to laugh at the end of our lives because of the great faith that we have, that we'll be able to overcome whatever mockery comes our way, whoever's laughing at us. In the end, God will be the one laughing. He'll be the one that's victorious, and we'll be there with him, counting our blessings filled with joy. Let's uh, bow our heads, and uh, we're going to take communion here. Uh, Father, thank you for the so many ways that you've uh, increased our faith. 
Thank you for your word. Thank you for Isaac and his example, God. I pray that even now that we can see the blessing that you've given us in your son, Jesus. Really, the whole book of Hebrews is basically to get people to acknowledge and give praise and glory and worship to him. To recognize his sacrifice, to to consider his struggles, and to be able to persevere, God. I pray that today we can honor him as we honor his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. God, we love you. I pray that even now that we can examine our faith and we can repent and we can believe in the huge and awesome and loving God that you are. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.